Hey everybody, this is Mark Levine and you're listening to episode number two of the NYC Real Estate Podcast. So I'm Mark Levine, as I said, and I'm with a property management firm EBMG in New York City. And today I have a special guest from my own office. She didn't have to walk very far, but this is Jill Bader and she's my head of sales and leasing. So Hello. we're, we're going to be talking about board applications, sales applications, sublet applications, refinance applications, basically anything that you could think of that you touch upon in our world, right? Hello. So Jill, yes. you've been with us for a bunch of years, but if you want to yes. give a, a background on, on you and what you do, what you handle. Okay. So what I typically do is I handle all the co-op and condo applications. I set up all the interviews distribute all the packages that we're going to talk about. What I do is I handle everything that's involved with the process of um, from the contract of sale. I'm involved with questions. We field questions from realtors, from banks about lending, buying, the co-ops, the rules. And I've been doing this for 10 years for a few other companies. And now I'm here with EBMG for the past three or four years. And we just continually do this process for our whole portfolio. So it's quite fascinating. And you're happy here? So happy. Because if you're not, you can get out. Okay, I see the door. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so I made up a little bit of a list, but first let me just tell everybody that if they want to send us an email, um, we are capturing everybody's email uh, email questions and they can kind of lead to future discussions. But uh, the podcast email is NYC. Uh, real estate podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's NYC real estate podcast at gmail.com. So just submit any questions that you have and we'll be sure to tackle them. So the life of the, the sales process and the application, I just wanted to like go through the step-by-step -step before we go through different questions that come up and process um, in the future. So once an apartment is listed, that's when everybody goes through, um, the brokers get involved, they do the open houses, uh, somebody likes the apartment, they make an offer, an offer is negotiated, accepted. So that's when a contract of sale is executed after the parties have gone through that. Correct. At that time, also, a, if you're going for a mortgage, the mortgage company, the, the lending bank has to be contacted and a mortgage commitment essentially has to be uh, given to the purchaser, and that also goes into this board application process. So the application is going to be submitted to management. We're going to review it. We're then going to send it out to the board of directors or the board of managers, if it's a co-op or a condo. And then everybody that's on the board is going to review it. Uh, they're going to get back to us as management. We're going to get back to the uh, shareholder that's more the prospective purchaser, I should say, for an interview if it gets that far and then they have the interview and then it's approved or it's denied and then they close. So that's really the lifeline. That's the lifeline. And Mark is making it seem like it's a five minute process, but the whole process you have to understand this is taking months and months because there's so many little steps involved. Even from when you're making an open house, you have the, they call our company. Can we have an open house? Can we have signage? How do we do it? Or, we have to go through rules. We, the, it's just the questions start coming from the very beginning yeah. of, I think I'm listing my apartment. What do I need to do from a shareholder or right. an owner? So it's a very detailed process. And But what Mark had outlined, it's the same for every, it's like Groundhog's Day. It's the same all the time. It's just different buildings have slightly different requirements. Yeah. 
So we're talking about an application in a co-op and people that are either renting or maybe they've come from a single family home. They don't understand that. Why? Why do I have to open up my life to this board of unknown people to right. literally dig through everything that comes my way so that they can approve me to live in their community? And in a uh, proprietary lease in a co-op, especially the board has the right to effectively look at that information. It has the right to go dig deep into the financials. They want to make sure that anybody can afford to live there or that there there's nothing kind of flagging them as a, I don't right. want to say as a person, but there's, there's, there's a no lot of background. There's no, we can find out and we do find out with every application. Were you ever in housing court? Did you have a default? Did yeah. You, we see all your liabilities. Everything is out there in the open and what a lot of people don't understand is that a co-op is not real property. Right. It shares in a corporation. And that's the difference. It's not like owning a private home. Right. Or a condo. Or a condo. Right? Yeah. So, so you're given more you're given more latitude as a board member in a co-op to just be by law you don't have to give a reason for not allowing somebody right. or denying the application. As of now, anyway, in 2019, that's the law. You don't have to give a reason. You can just deny. But we'll go through later some right. interesting facts of uh, protected classes and, and reasons why somebody may be denied. But it really does give the board the opportunity to fact check, you know, a person Absolutely. and their liabilities, their, you know, all of their assets. Um, so the, the broker is typically the one that's going to put together the board application for our review, correct? Right, which is a, a quite, um, I would say it's, there's about 25 requirements usually yeah. in a board package. And we're going to go through a lot of those. Okay. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Um, there's a lot of fees also, so it's not inexpensive. Yeah, beyond the um, the purchase price, when somebody puts in an application, and we get a lot of questions of to why are there fees? Typically, management contracts have those fees built in because it's individualized work for a specific right. unit. That's not the overall management building. of the building. Right. It's our, we have a whole sales department that's dedicated to reviewing applications, making sure they're right. Um, you know, getting feedback from the the boards getting information and questions answered. We just, that's how we spend our days. We don't spend our days with the elevators not working or we right. don't have hot water. We are focused solely on sales and leasing and yeah. subleasing. So there's usual application fees, which would be uh, the, the, let's say the management company's review um, the, for the administrative part of reviewing that application. There's also a credit check fee that's typically charged. And then uh, you could have also your move in and move out deposits that are also put with the applications themselves. Um, board application review fees are standard too in a lot of buildings where not only do we charge to look at it, but the board as free you know, uh, employment, they're not being paid by the building. So a lot of buildings will take a few hundred dollars when they're reviewing Correct. because it is people's time and the board isn't keeping this, it goes to the building and that's an important thing to know is that the board isn't making money off of it but the cooperative corporation or the condo is actually padding the the revenue stream by the soft revenue which can help offset future costs um so what's the board looking for when we see an application what's the like what's the number one thing that we get okay so the number one if you're trying to buy a co-op 
you want to put your best foot forward. You want to show these are two things that you need to show the co-op. A, that you can afford to live there and you won't have a problem paying your bills. And secondly, and it's not as important, but it can be a factor in rejecting you, you, they, you need to prove to the co-op in some way, plead your case that you are a decent human being and you will make a very good neighbor because co-ops, just regular rentals, co-ops, they're all riddled with neighbors you don't want to live in the same building with. People who are do things, have bad habits and loud music and you want to make sure, you know, you don't want to pick the people that have money and can afford to pay the maintenance every month, but yet they're having parties till four in the morning or they're running on their treadmill. They're not carpeting 80% of their floors. There's just all kinds of factors. You want to say, okay, you want people who are going to treat the building with respect, their neighbors with respect, and their units with respect. That's very important to the boards. They take To be on a co-op board, it shows that you take a lot of pride in where you live and you have to show that. So financials, yes, number one, your whole profile. Show them everything. Show them as much as you got. It says two bank reference letters. If you have five bank accounts, get five bank reference letters. The more, the better. Make it easier for them to say, oh, you have more. Less doubt. Not, we have to get more, because then that leads to just a delay in the process. Exactly. So they're looking at debt-to-income ratios. They're looking at all of the expenses that you have on a monthly basis. They're looking at credit card debt. They're looking at student loan debt. Because it's not just the the mortgage that has to get paid. It's also the maintenance or the common charges in a co-op that ha- and a condo that have to be paid. It's all of your liabilities that are there. Right. And also people own other properties and they don't realize that those are potential debts. And when people don't and people have mortgages that they don't disclose, they have other properties. They just want to disclose what they want to disclose. And when we do run the credit history, we see you have a mortgage with PNC. Oh, you do? Oh, you have no debt, but you owe Toyota uh, Motor $25,000. Obviously, you have car payments you're making. So always be honest. Because they'll find it. Well, I see it. Yeah. I see it every day. We'll you find have it no and they'll debt, find it. Well, then we have to change your debt to income ratio. And now the boards are getting more savvy. So not only are we picking it up, but they pick it up very quickly. They yeah. do. And... It should go without saying that the one real good reason to not let somebody purchase in a co-op is financial. So any board that's listening to this that's saying, well, we have an application and we're on the fence about the finances, but let's meet them first. And then you meet them and then you say, "Mm, maybe not, but you've already opened the door to them for any reason that's not financial to to feel that they were let go. Um, So if you are actually looking to uh, make a decision before you have an interview and they don't really live up to uh, the standard of financial, you just don't have the interview. And then that'll save I you a lot of that. heartache. And there are some boards that will interview everybody. Yeah. And I could tell you before they interview them who they're going to reject most of the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm a professional. <laughs> this is what you do. I reject people all the time. <laughs> now, I'm just the bearer of bad news. I'm really, it's not my bad news. It's I just relay the the message. Don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. Well, we get shot at a lot, but that's okay. That's okay. That's what we do. So let's talk about uh, protections. And these these are reasons that 
in New York State, in New York City, you're not allowed to be discriminated against. You, we can't withhold approvals for these reasons, right? So the federal status protections are race, color, religion, national origin, sex, disability, and familial status. And then on top of that, New York City is a little bit more stringent. So they have added the following age, citizenship, citizenship status, gender and gender identity, lawful occupation, lawful source of income, marital status, partnership status, and sexual orientation. So we've gone, and I've had these discussions with boards before, where instead of being in the interview and saying, oh, well, what do you do for work? Because that's a leading question and that could be a discriminatory right. factor. I'm more apt to say, tell me, tell me about yourself. And I do the same thing in job interviews when I'm hiring new people because a lot of these still apply too. So it's like, okay, tell me about yourself. Because if, if you tell me about something, not necessarily that I'm right. gauging. Right, it's not that you asked. Right. You brought it up. It came out in conversation. And someone's going to say, well, why did I get rejected? Well, they're going to maybe tell their attorney, well, they asked me um, if I was married. Maybe yeah. it's a single woman. Maybe it's, you know. We, we don't know. Maybe they'll take that as a vibe that oh, the board didn't like me because I'm a single woman and maybe they think I'm wild or yeah. whatever. But so the, and there are a lot of preconceived notions out there. Yeah. And most of what we're looking for anyway in, a finan in the application itself are financial in nature. Yes. And, uh, and so let me go through a bunch of the stuff that we see in typical applications. Okay. Uh, so the contract of sale, or if it's a sublease and a co-op, the sublease agreement, that's mm -hmm. always asked for. Always asked for, and it has to be signed. Right. It can't just be uh, a, a pro forma template that says right. this it is the Right, it has to be the actual contract with all the attorneys and all the terms in it. The credit authorization, um, so that we can run a credit check, that needs to be signed. Right. We and I believe that's a law. That we, we can't run credit without somebody signing right. it, so we need that signed. Two years tax returns is pretty standard. Two months of pay stubs. If self-employed, an accountant's letter confirming earnings and two years of financial statements, which is going to be important because if you're self-employed, you can say that you make something and it could be totally off the mark either way. I mean, it could, who's going right. to say they make less? But um, We get a lot of business tax returns too. If someone has their yeah. own business, they send in their business tax return. But an accountant's letter is always helpful because it gets very confusing too. Mm -hmm. And then we could always reach out to the accountant if we had to. Right. To explain some things. And we do. Statement explaining details of the sources of funds. So a lot of people could get gifts. They could get transfers from family. They could have trust funds. I mean, there's a lot of, we're in New York City, so there's a lot of everything, you know. Exactly. So, so we want everybody to uh, detail as close to possible and also be very truthful. Right. And there's also now, when I first started in this, I didn't see any, there's, real formed gift letters that banks give. And there's a way to say, say exactly when the gift was given, who it's given by. It's not going to be repaid. Is it a loan? Term. Is it a gift? It's yeah. notarized by the bank. When in the bank, they have to show us the actual statement of where the, it went in because a lot of the boards, I guess, back in the day, people used to take, well, I'm going to take $50,000 from Mark, put it in my bank, pay it my account, and then I'm going to give it back to him. We can't do that anymore. They can't do that anymore. We have to see that it was in there, that yeah. it's staying there. And like Chase Bank's going to have to sign and say, yeah, this money's staying in there. Mm -hmm. And it's accountability. Mm -hmm. It makes it easier because anyone can say a letter from my 
I'm giving Jill a gift. Right. But this is, it gives it a little more credibility. And then three months after closing, that money's gone, you know, because it's paid back and that's not right. good. And we, it's always nice to have a detailed letter from who's purchasing because it does get very confusing. People have all these different accounts. They have like 401ks and savings and they're getting married and there's three checking accounts. It, it's just confusing. So it's nice when someone spells it out. This is how we are. I get a nice source of funds letter from the people. So it can help you kind of navigate all these statements because it's a little. Yeah. Th- some of these applications are like 500 pages. Well, we've seen them come in in boxes and boxes. we're talking about big boxes that we have to parse through and scan and don't send double sided. Right. Don't send. double-sided. <laughs> that, that's our pet peeve. And, and send redacted. Yeah. Always take send. Always send one copy without social security numbers and account numbers, because that delays the process. You'd be surprised how long. Well, that's just extra man hours, woman hours, and it people just hours. it gets put to the back of the. It gets it get pushed yeah, back because we're asking you for you know you have to follow your instructions. And we do put that on um, the cover pages to send it. Send one right. copy redacted. Send it loose. Because typically, once we confirm that everything's there and we've run everything, we're going to scan that anyway into right. the cloud. And then and we send shred everything. Yeah. And we send it in a safe format as well, by the yeah. way. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. We use, for some boards, they like to use Dropbox, and we'll send the link. That's on our Dropbox. But for those that want even more protection, we use Ironbox, which is an encryption software. And what we do is we upload that. It gets sent out to the email addresses for those board members that review it. But separately, we're sending an email to them on the side saying, here's your specific password for that specific link. So Right, and it's only one password per link. Yeah. And then it's gone. Yeah, which is nice. It's very secure. Yeah. Very cyber secure. It is very. We're very cutting edge. <laughs> and um, personal and professional letters of recommendation. So we want to know that you're a great neighbor you're a great friend you're a great employee everyone's great and fabulous but we also need an employment letter and the employment letter has to say how long you've worked there we uh you know the terms what you get paid because people tend to pad their salary too Mm -hmm. a lot of the co-op boards also we understand you get a bonus or they understand you get a bonus and you work overtime but they're really looking at your base salary what about a landlord recommendation? Is Very that, important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They haven't had any late payment issues. They're right. not noisy. They're they're abiding by the rules where they live. They paid their rent on time. Yeah. Uh, very important yeah. that we get that. Because what we were talking about before is we want to make sure in an interview that somebody's going to abide by the house rules. Because the last yes. thing that a board wants to do is chase somebody around, as you said, for not having carpeting. And a lot right. of a lot of buildings actually now are enforcing that once you um, purchase, you, you either can't close or you can't get your deposit back. Until we verify that there's 80% carpeting, until we right. verify that there's been no alterations that aren't recorded on file with the exactly. DOB. You know, right. there's a lot of like things right. that we can do to really kind of press people to act within the confines. Abide by the rules. Right. Yeah. If they're financing a commitment letter and recognition agreements, and usually we get three recognition agreements, two right. go to the bank at closing, one stays with us. Right. And that just shows because, like we said, a co op is not real property. So, Anytime your loan for your co-op is not for Mark Levine, it's for your pledging shares of the co-op. Right. So if you default, the co-ops, someone else is going to own those shares. A bank is going to own those shares. So it's important that everything is documented 
and it's explained that people go to refinance their mortgages too, and they don't understand why they need approval, that they we need to ask the board if they can refi, because sometimes the terms, you know, we want to make sure that the levels of the appraisal are still, you're still at the levels that they, uh, the appraisal is still, you're not borrowing more than what it's worth, because at the end of the day, if something happens, the co-op is stuck. And the recognition agreement calls out if somebody wants to refinance, if they want to sublease their apartment, if they're back paid, if they're not paying their maintenance and they're late, we should really be reaching out to the bank that's on the recognition agreement to let right. them know because, because they, they may step in if it's bad enough and take an action against exactly. the shareholder who they pledged their shares. You said um, just before with the recognition agreement, we we need really for refinancing, especially we need to get a letter from the lender saying that they're okay with it. Right. And a lot of people say, well, I don't understand why I have to, it's the same bank. It right. doesn't really matter. Right. And if you're refinancing, where are you getting a line of credit? This is where a lot of people get tripped up. If you're getting a line of credit and you've already been approved for, let's say you have the 80% financing, which is mm-hmm. standard, right? right. Standard uh, maximum financing for a co-op is 80% because a few reasons. Um, anything less than 80% or more than 80%, I should say. So in between uh, zero and 19% finance or of your own money, you have to pay PMI. Right. Private mortgage insurance. So you're going to be paying an extra amount on top of your monthly um, mortgage amount. And that's going to skew your debt to income ratio. That's going to skew the value of the apartment. It's it's doing a lot of things. So a lot of buildings will shy away from allowing um, anything under 20% right. of cash. Um, we have some buildings that don't allow anybody to have all cash transactions. Yes. Because they want the hook of the recognition agreement so that they don't have to chase. Right. Right. So, and there's also some buildings that we have now, there's a co-op that requires, if you want to purchase for cash, they've had a lot of problems with cash purchases that, you know, I guess they had approved people that were doing all cash deals that really weren't that qualified, but I guess the allure of, Oh, they're all cash. But now, they're asking them to put three years maintenance in escrow, an un, and it's, it's an, an unended escrow, which is, that's a lot. So people are discouraged from doing all cash. We have a few buildings like that. Right and now. that's very timely, and I'm looking for my piece of paper here, but we just got a memo sent around, and there's a new New York State legislature that was enacted in June 2019, the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act of 2019, and it essentially... prohibits any landlords from collecting more than a month of rent or maintenance, I would say. Okay. Uh, So in that case, let's say you're taking three years of escrow. Yeah. You're taking three years. Now they're saying, and it's until it's enacted and further legislation kicks out the co-op portion of that, because remember co-ops are considered to be rental buildings in the New York city area. I mean, it's a landlord tenant relationship. So this is basically saying that, a board may not be able to take more than one month's escrow. And we're still parsing. We're really still going through this legislature. Right. I mean, this is a month old and lawyers. Now this is, I'll give a shout out to Hartman, Yule, Rose and Ratner and Carol Yule, who we know as a, an attorney sent this out to us. And it actually just came into our office this morning. So this is a good time for us to have this conversation. Right. But she gives the example that there could be huge penalties. So if 
let's say a one year maintenance deposit of $12,000 covering a $1,000 per month. So mm-hmm. a year that could result in a $24,000 award in damages. Okay. So maybe then it's a good idea then to say no all cash sales yeah. or if someone's just on the fence and you're going to just even if someone's financially just like very borderline and you feel like you're going to give them a shot, they're a nice family, a nice yeah. couple, a nice individual, maybe the boards are going to have to say no thank you. Yeah. Because in those cases, we do like to take an escrow for them. So let me go through what I was going to do this at the end, but since we're talking about this now. Yeah. So we've, we've got that. We know that um, you can't take or we, we presume right now that you can't take. And this is really good in rental buildings because as a landlord for a rental building, this is an easy way to say rent is X amount. I can only take one month of rent as a deposit or as okay. an escrow. Mm-hmm. It also says that no landlord can take an application fee in excess of $20, which is to be used for credit or background check of the applicant, and that the landlord must waive that $20 fee if the applicant can produce his or her own background check report, which is less than 30 days old. And I don't think that this applies to management companies that are separate, like how we manage for the the landlord or we we manage for the co-op. I believe this is just if the landlord is taking it. Um, the law provides that no landlord may require any applicant to answer any question about his or her past litigation relating to housing. The law provides that no late fee may be billed, demanded, or collected by any landlord until five days after the rent due date, and that no late fee may be in excess of $50 or 5% of the monthly rent, whichever amount is less. And it says, if rent is not received by the fifth day of the month, each landlord is required to send the late-paying tenant a notice by certified mail that the rent has not been received. Failure to send such a certified, and this is the certified, this is an administrative nightmare, uh, in a timely $6. fashion. $6.80 yeah. per. Can we build them back? We don't even know. Uh, in a timely fashion might bar subsequent summary proceedings. So if you're not sending it by the fifth day of the month and you're not sending it certified, then you are you waiving your right to sue in you know, housing court? Yeah, it sounds like that. The new law provides that only rent may be claimed in any non-payment summary proceeding and that late fees, legal fees, assessments, repair costs, sublet fees, etc. would have to be sued for in a separate action in a separate forum, which only a money judgment could result. Evictions for not paying these charges would not be available. Wow. So you're only taking rent and in a co-op as it stands now maintenance and anything other than is not evictable and you'd have to go after it separately. So that's crazy. That's crazy. We're going to have to hire a whole other staff <laughs> well, to send need, out a five-day notice. Yeah. Or lobbying firms to change it so it's not co-op-based. We'll get a lobbyist. <laughs> um, okay. So guarantors. A lot of college kids coming out of college, they can't yep. afford, you know, not everybody's working at Google and Facebook and Amazon. But you know, like, even if they are, you, the, the prices in New York are mm-hmm. just astronomical. Yep. So what's a really nice starting salary in a nice company, you can't afford to live in New York. So yeah, we have guarantors. So, and you also look better when you have a guarantor because you, that's kind of one of the borderline cases. So you have a nice parent that's going to say, okay, here are my financials. If anything happens, I'm, I'm on the shares with my son or my daughter or whoever, my sister. And they're responsible. They're just as responsible for maintenance and assessments, everything, and the unit itself as the person who lives there, which is usually a family member. 
So then that means that whoever's going to be guaranteeing or whoever's going to be also on the stock and lease is also going to have to provide full, full financials and full everything probably. Most, for it's more almost more important that their financials are top-notch than the person they're guaranteeing because the person they're guaranteeing, we know, are just starting out. Yeah. So it's very important. So, yes, they have to be prepared to submit tax returns and every, you know, all kinds of, it. it's a lot of paper, but it all gets looked at. It really does. Okay. As frightening as that seems. So we've looked at the application. We've looked at the purchaser or the subletter. We've looked at the proposed subletter. Mm -hmm. uh, we've looked at the guarantors and now the board reviews it. We've sent it to them by Dropbox. We've sent it to them okay. by Ironbox. And now they say, okay, we want to interview. Okay. But before they want to interview, I have a lot of boards that will give me a list. Some boards will go through every single sheet of paper and come back with questions. And the Q&A between a board and I act as the middleman. So between us all, what I'm finding out on my own, some things I can answer by myself because I've spoken to the realtors, the, the people who are selling, the people who are buying. They're, every single per their attorneys, I've been through this whole process with them or answering questions and due diligence. We've done this. So I'm, I kind of get a very clear picture of what's going on, but yet the board will come back with questions. They always have questions. The ones that don't, they don't. But yeah. sometimes the ones that don't will come back with questions out of nowhere. Yeah. So you always have to be prepared. And they come back with some questions, and then once they're satisfied, this could take a day, a week, three weeks, depending on where everybody is, and we always have to reach out and say, hey, um, do you guys have any more questions? What's going on with number unit 7A? Uh, any more questions? Do you guys need anything? Oh, no, I think we're, then it takes them a while to set up an interview. We coordinate an interview. It's usually at the building or a lot of times in the city now I find they're meeting at Starbucks. We coordinate or a we restaurant. have a lot of wine bars. We have bars. Wine bars, Brooklyn, very hip. Yeah. Interviewing yeah. at Cafe mm -hmm. Madeline whatever. <laughs> so usually I would say how many percentage would you say are approved after an interview? Oh, it's high. I would say like 90 per yeah. 5 percent. That's super high. And then it's the five that <laughs> aren't that you could only imagine what went on during the interview. Yeah. And if it's not all rejected. financial. No, yeah. it's not. Sometimes <laughs> I wonder that would be a good reality show, but okay. I'm glad that we don't go there. We don't go to interviews because yeah, we don't allowed. we don't want the liability. Just we can't. Yeah, if somebody's going to be sued, it's not going to be management. No. <laughs> um, and then we get notice from the board. I get an official notice from them. Yes, we approve, and it has to be unanimous. There has to be a yeah. vote. Very important. Mm -hmm. Or so at least it doesn't have to be unanimous. It has to be approval by majority, really. Majority. Yeah. So, yeah, and a lot of times we'll ask that the board reaffirm that at the next board meeting, so it's in the minutes. Right. Yeah. And then what happens is then the whole, we're trying to get the closing together, and that's a, a whole other leg. So this whole process, by the way, is taking at least a month. Yeah. Because so, there's time. so many moving parts. There's so many parties. There's so many, but it, it's the same process all over and over and over again, and the best thing, like the, my best advice is 
send a complete package always, follow the instructions, put your best foot forward, make it neat, and one point person per party once the application is in. Because sometimes you're answering the same questions for so many people about the same item that it just, it gets overwhelming and things get lost. And yep. I told this one, but, oh, you're not on it. Make sure everyone's on the emails. And, and also, when we approve, another thing is a lot of people want a reason when they're rejected. And a lot of applications are rejected before an interview. Mm -hmm. And an important part is that we don't disclose a reason. And a lot of time we don't even know the reason. We, I specifically ask my boards, well, don't tell me, just just tell me if it's approved right. or denied. I don't want to know. I want plausible I, deniability. I think I know, but I, yeah, sometimes but I don't. It's a judgment, yeah. But, and then it gets a little, you know, it could get a little heated and people get emotional because they put a lot of time and money and they invested, you know, they thought they were That's buying their home. Just the application and itself it's is very a lot. upsetting. So you have to really take a deep breath. It's not personal. It's yeah. usually financial. But yeah. you move on. And going back to the interview, uh, they usually expect that anybody that's going to be on the shares or living there and or both are yeah. there at the interview yes, themselves. including like children. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they want to meet sometimes. children. I have dog interviews and dog applications in yeah. many buildings. Yeah. And, and we can go into service animals at another time. but Service animals are different. Yeah, but they're, they're of, not pets. A lot of, you know, a lot of people have dogs that are not considered like the house rules are very um broad but yet when it comes to certain animals some boards under like a pet has to be under 35 pounds people will only one dog and then i'll get phone calls but they're two really small dogs <laughs> you know yeah mm. so i asked they're like no one yeah is it two separate dogs it's, it's yes. better to have are they co-joined? No. No. Okay. Then <laughs> we need one. We have to keep it standard because you said, <laughs> not that uh, not that you're setting a precedent every time, but you no, leave you open the to, door. Yeah, you do. You have to, we can't say, okay, you could have two little dogs and you could have one big dog. We can't do that. What's something that I could say at an interview that would probably be a really good thing? It would be, yeah, I would love to run for the board one day and yes. contribute to my oh, community. Yeah. Right. People. Yes. They are always looking to recruit people yeah. on the board, especially if you're financially minded. Maybe you're an accountant or yes, accountants are treasurer. Big on boards. The treasurer for the for the board is a, a well-respected and often needed uh, position. So right. they and want attorneys. A lot and of architects like to be architects good on the board. Engineer. Yeah. 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 Um, so also, you'll probably be asked about whether or not you want to do renovations in the apartment. So right. just tread lightly on those conversations. You yeah. Know, yeah, we're going to be doing construction for six months. You may yeah. not want to say that at an interview, but you want to be honest that, yeah, you're looking yeah, to do I'm something. Yeah, I'm thinking of redoing some updating. Updating is a very good word. Yeah. And then that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. So the subleasing also, there's restrictions. There's restrictions in the sense of there's applications just like there are. And we talked about that kind of with the right. application process that you need to have the sublease agreement signed. We haven't even gotten into all the riders that we need to have. I mean, there's no. lead paint riders. There's access riders. There's bed bug riders. Uh, window guard knob, forms. Stove knob knobs. forms. Right. Yeah, I think we've got riders. I, I think there's window bracket. AC. There are for one building that we well, have. Yeah, we have. Yeah, Garfield. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so there's some restrictions. Some boards actually put restrictions on the number of sublets that you could have at any given time. Banks typically don't like to have any mortgages given out to, or they they put up a little bit of a resistance if you're yes. above the 15% threshold. And then when you have a sponsor that holds a large chunk of built uh, of apartments in a building, they also see that as a negative because right, and it's a it's we have a building with like a 70% sponsor mm-hmm. rate. And you can't get a mortgage in that building. So they tend to do all cash sales. It's very small, but still. I had one building in in the city that was at about 20%, maybe a little higher, 22%. And they got really strict. And they said, we're Mm -hmm. only allowing you to sublease in a hardship. And we're only allowing you to sublease for three years total. Mm -hmm. So they took their percentage from... 22% 22% five years ago to now, and I did the math yesterday, it's 6%, really? including sponsor, which is great. I mean, they've really That's turned really the table. Good. And there's a lot of benefits to not having subtenants in your in your uh, complex or in your building because typically owners take care of their grounds and their um, apartments and their hallways and common areas right. a little bit better because they care because this Absolutely. is where their investment is. And sometimes you're not even allowed to sublet you have to live there for three years. You could yeah. then only sublet for two. Then you mm-hmm. have to live back in there. Right. There's all kinds of crazy combinations. Yeah. And the fees for subletting usually are very high. Yeah, and they go up a lot of times. They go up in years. Right. So you could be, uh, let's say, 20% of your maintenance on the first year. Second year, it could stagger up. And then third year, you're like, oh, my God, I'm paying 40% of my monthly maintenance. Right. It's a way to discourage having so many sublets. Yeah, which I'm all for. I agree. Yeah. Close, so once we're, okay, we've, we've gone through the interview process. They were approved. So now we set up the closing. Some buildings, we do the closings as the transfer agent. Yes. Sometimes they have the uh, the council for the uh, cooperative do the closing in a condo. We're not involved really, except for the, right. the final common charge letter saying that everything's been paid off. It's real property. There's a transfer of ownership. It's not and us. And there's a deed. Right. So we get the deed. Yeah. In the office, yeah. Done. And the co-op side, we have to handle the cancellation of the old stock and lease, and we have to issue the new one. We always sign the back of the old one so that the person yes. that's leaving acknowledges they've signed it, saying that they gave up their rights yes. to it. We cancel it out. Everybody and gets copies. A lot of people don't realize that it is the ownership of your co-op is the proprietary lease and the share certificate. Right. And people don't understand that that's so important to have. Yeah. With the raised seal. Because if you don't have it, there's penalties. Mm-hmm. We might make you get an Eagle Nine insurance policy, yeah. which is very costly. It's yeah. to protect the building. We title have insurance to. policy. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's and it's a hassle. It is a hassle, but I think that most of the time the bank loses it. They pay the for it. Bank loses it. Yeah, yeah, they pay no for offense. it. <laughs> but a lot of people out of New York don't realize. And I think a lot of the bank branches outside of New York, they don't realize that people are just always amazed. Like that's, you you can't email it. You can't PDF it. It's the actual certificate from a stock book. It's yeah. hand signed, sealed. Yeah. It's We want to make sure that you haven't school. pledged it to somebody else as collateral for something else. Yes, because anyone could show up and that's your ownership. Right. So it's very important. So the, the stock certificate is is what you is the shares that you own. The proprietary lease gives you so the stock certificate gives you the right 
to occupy the apartment and mm-hmm. this, those terms are spelled out in the proprietary lease. Right. All the rules like the it's more than just the rules. Right. It's the use of the premises. It's who's responsible for what. What do I do when I want to sell? What do I do when I want to rent? What can the board do? The bylaws is really just the operation of the board and the powers that are given to the board um, through that. So, mm-hmm. but the proprietary lease, whenever somebody has something it's going like on in the their Bible. apartment, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Of who can live there? Can my sister live there? Well, some buildings, you know what? Your sister can live there. Yeah. Without you. Yeah. Others. It depends how. Th- there's one phrase there. It's like yeah. the shareholder and their sister, brother, siblings, immediate family. But it, the the question always becomes: Is it while the shareholder is in residence, or is it while they're right. not? And is that considered a sublet? Right. So a that's cryptic, tricky. But yeah. But at closing, you're gonna maybe experience as a seller some costs. You're gonna have the flip tax, or and the there's waiver. always a transfer fee. Right. That gets paid to management. Or to the attorney that's doing the closing. Right. Right. So that's the administration fee for making up the new documents, for attending the closing, for right. giving over the the new documents to the to the uh, purchaser, to cancel out the old documents from the seller. The flip tax could be... So th- I think a flip tax is a great thing that a lot I of buildings it's have. It stops people from the flip. You know, it's I don't want to... It's going to cost me money now if I flip because I have to pay money at closing no matter what. So that could be a percentage of the of the sale price. Right. It could be a per share basis. It could be right. um, a flat fee. It could be Sometimes some weird it's a formula. formula. We have like some weird formulas. That yeah. I we need Nobel mathematicians. Yes, to I just send the actual... The, the verbiage the and let them figure and it out. Say, and send it to me for review. Yeah. <laughs> and I, then I review it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it looks good. But um, yeah, 3% of the sales price. Sometimes it depends how long, if you live in the, if you live in a co-op for like over five years, it might be 1%. If you're living there between three and five, yeah. 2%. So it, it encourages you to stay longer yeah. and it, it holds like more of a residential quality to the and some buildings actually do it where there's a purchaser, they pay the cap, uh, what's called a capital contribution fee, which goes in, should theoretically be $500, $1,000, whatever that may be, right. goes into the reserve fund. So it helps, you know. $2,700. Well, that's a good one. I won't ask where that is, but we could talk about that later. Okay. Um, the closing fees are, are what they are. And you can't close without them. You're paying attorneys, you're paying um, right. taxes. Right, it's a costly. Yeah. It's costly. But you're buying a house, you basically, yeah. but not a house, right? not real property. But it's you're buying a place to, you're buying your future, your yeah. home, whatever you want to do with it, that's what it is. And we've covered, okay, so we've I think we've exhausted for now co-ops. Yes. So condos, we'll take two seconds to talk I about condos. I could talk about co-ops forever. You oh, know, yeah, I no, them. that's our life. I love co-ops. I know. Well, maybe I need a new co-host. You can do this with me. We'll just, we'll <laughs> just sit here. Talk about co-ops all day. We'll just get some wine. It'll be fine. Okay. Um, so in a in a condo, there's a right of first refusal, and right. sometimes there's not always. Not always. Yeah. So if you're looking, if there, if you're in a building or you're looking to buy in a building that has a right of first refusal, that's a similar mechanism to the co-op, but not really. Not really. Yeah. It's more like. I don't know. In all these years, I've never seen a condo. Uh, actually you've never seen them exercise it. Exercise the I, right. Uh, of, yeah. They usually waive the right. Yeah. So I've what never it is? So what it is is if I let's say you have an apartment and I want to buy it from you and I'm your friend and you sell it to me, it's let's say the market value is five hundred thousand dollars, but because it's real property, 
you don't necessarily have to get, you know, too sophisticated with passing the co-op board. But if you have a right of first refusal, if you want to sell it to me for a hundred thousand dollars, it's like a sweetheart deal. The board, upon review of right, this the application, they could step into the transaction as me and buy it on behalf of the condo, and right. then they could do whatever they, they want, want with it. They, they could redo it, sell it, make some money. Yeah. But they have to have enough money yeah. in their reserves. And you'd be careful because I think that they would also need to get unit owner approval for it. They don't just have blanket authority. But if it's big enough, if, if you're saving $400,000 on this made-up deal, it might be worth it for them to do it because right. they'll just get, they'll flip it for $400,000 more if, it's a, right. if that's and what the market is. it just goes into the condo. Yeah, so you can do it. Um, but that's going to be in the bylaws of the condo to see if you actually do have a right of first refusal. And it's also going to maintain the comps in the building because you right. don't want something to drive down everybody's right. investment because right. whether or not it's a co-op or a condo, there's still market value for everybody's sales and trends and we want a healthy building. Right. Um, so again, I think that we've hit the end, but if you want to send me an email again, send the podcast an email, it's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. We're at NYC Real Estate Podcast, and we're going to be putting up some stuff there. And these actually, we're doing video as long as, as well as the podcast. So you could find that on youtube.com slash XL Bradshaw. And I'll put that in the, uh, in all the information on when we do uh, put these podcasts out. But we're doing it once a week. You won't be here once a week, I don't think. I can be. If you I'm want available. to, you're a good guest. <laughs> we just wasted an hour of work time. It's, it's fine. fine. I think you got three applications while we I were sitting I in did. here. I did. I better go redact that. Do you have anything else to add? No, I think we covered it all. Yeah? Yeah, basically. All right. So we're good. So this will be up uh, next week. We're going to be talking about elevators, which is mm. the most, ex I think we have the most exciting podcast in New York City. Well, I did follow bed bugs. Did you? Yeah, so it All right, went good. bed bug sales. Did you feel itchy? A little bit. I just thinking about now it. Now I'm itchy feel, again. Yeah, I feel a little itchy. All right. Well, All right. thanks for your time. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, everybody. Now, Do you have any questions? I'll always available. You sit in the office next to me, so I'll just be yelling at you when we okay. go live. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye.